Welcome back, everybody, to It's a Debate Podcast. It's a podcast where seven friends get together and talk about different topics. Now, the kick is you don't get to decide that you're for or against that topic, but you just have to give us some compelling arguments. So um, I'm your host today, Christy, and with, uh, let's see who we got with us today. Hey, everybody, it's Alana. Hey, guys, it's Alex. Hey, it's Lindsay. Paige. Beans, beans. Hey, it's Tiani here. All right. All right. So as usual, just going to start this off with a hot topic. Paige, you want to kick us off? Yes. Okay. We just wrapped up the end of Halloween season, spooky season, as the people call it. Who calls it that? And now we already see Mariah Carey thawing out. So I want to know, do you begin to celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving? I'll start. My calendar says Thanksgiving is in November, okay? End of November. Start then. Uh, can I defend Mariah Carey for a second? Yeah. Uh, just, floor just... Says. Since she was what a teenager, she made that song. What I don't know what year she made that song, but she made that song as a teenager. And every year since, she has made a minimum of ten million dollars off of that song every Christmas. So she is going to sing it as often <laughs> as she wants to. And we thank her for waiting until Halloween night. But trust and believe, at midnight every Halloween, if I was expecting ten million dollars every year. <clears throat> All I want for Christmas is you will be playing nonstop. So just in her defense, she getting coins. In her defense, it's a really good song. It, it, it is. It is. It was released in 1994. Huh? Get your check, sis. Get your it was released in 1994. Oh, why I saw 2011. Either way, that's a long time. It's very long. I think 2011 was when she had her mishap with the 2011? <laughs> 2011 was she did a song did she do a remix or something with Justin Bieber uh all I know is her performance for that song one year sent the people screaming through the streets it sure did <laughs> we all know it as soon as you said it we know it but okay this is my this is my um thoughts on it Christmas is a season and Thanksgiving is a day <laughs> that day just happens to fall in my season and there's oh. I, feel I, like I, I will be celebrating when I feel like it. Now I usually will put up the Christmas tree, but it might be a little black Santa, a little black nutcracker sprinkled here and there. November one. I agree. I agree. What if I think had a mean it was like there's before Christmas, just like Tennis said, there's before Christmas, 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 and then there's Thanksgiving Day. And then there's Christmas again. We're not skipping it. We're just, you know. Right. <laughs> I am of the mind that we can let it snow all year long, but the music let can begin November 1st. Once that temperature I mean, dropped to 50 degrees, we're here. We're here. I mean, the stores don't even give you a chance to think about Thanksgiving. No. There are okay. no Thanksgiving songs. It rolled right over Halloween decor. The, the weekend, the weekend of Halloween, Hobby Lobby had the Ready. aisles stopped. Ready. Okay, so they were all week. 
yes. leading up to Halloween, oh, they right. were putting the wreaths on the aisles. But you know, Hobby Lobby, they start putting their Christmas trees out like after July 4th ends. It's like, <laughs> okay, but Hobby Lobby's also run by those like extreme Christians. So, you know, there's really Christmas and then not Christmas. There's yeah. Easter and Christmas. That's what that's they, their Super Bowl. That's what they decorate for. So after now, Easter, everything else is Christmas. I have a bow to pick with Hobby Lobby because I went there on my day off. Sometimes I like to peruse the aisles of my local <laughs> Hobby Lobby because it makes me feel good. Okay. However, they literally a third of the store was dedicated to Christmas stuff right after Halloween, like Alana said. Not one black Santa. Mm. Not man, not one. They had two <laughs> like full six foot towers of nutcrackers, and they had one olivey brown. <laughs> not olivey brown. Ambiguous. Little ambiguous. Yes, it was very racial. It was giving POC. me POC. It was not POC giving me Christmas. <laughs> not, not, right. <laughs> you gotta go to um. You gotta go to at home. At home, be having the black Santas. And shout out to Target because I was in Macy's. I was in Target yesterday and they had this little um like eighteen month PJ set with little black Santas on them. Yeah. Stay out of Hobby Lobby. <laughs> yeah. Carter says black Santa. They have the same exact pajamas with a black one and a white one. And I was like, okay. yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that. They's like, which one you want? You want them with some melanin yeah. or not? it's always christmas okay so if it's christmas season when must the tree come down i was just about to say Mm, now that's a question jam one baby jam one so the 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 tree should be down before returning to work after the holidays Okay, because but- once you start back at work, that tree ain't coming down. <laughs> it ain't coming down. New year, new March. year, no tree. New I mean, y'all year, say no the tree. songs can last all year, but you got to the, the tree got to go. But the tree, the tree, no, the tree has a lifespan. The tree goes up Black Friday, and it comes down New Year's Day. Okay. I like that. That's the but- timeline. Yeah, you're supposed to wait until the Epiphany. Epiphany. Um, that's when everybody saw Jesus, right? Oh, I must have and that's that. That's the actual twenty fifth day of Christmas, I think. Hmm. I'm I'm so confused. What's going on? Looks like oh, everyone missed that. You too educated for us, Paige. They didn't teach us that in vacation Bible school. No, this is not. Let us know. The good people of New Orleans sometimes keep their tree up all the way until Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. Yeah. So, but that's that's also a Catholic holiday. So, you know, oh. they just they just keep it up till then. Yeah, it's a real thing. I keep trying to explain that to my boss. She ain't trying to hear it. It's a real thing. Like it's a holiday. I have one more question for the hot topic. What's your favorite Christmas song or holiday song? Hey, but wait, is it is it the silent night or in my mind? In my mind. That one. Yeah, come on now. Do, 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 Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm just making sure. It's two different songs. Merry Christmas. It's not Christmas in Atlanta until you hear. So what you gonna get her? 
It is absolutely hilarious, but it is a, if you look it up on your spare time, you're going to laugh and be like, this should not be allowed on the radio. Why oh, would you looking it up? Yeah, no, Otis and Bonquisha by no, not the Ghost Town DJs, but some some DJ. It's hilarious. <laughs> and it plays every <laughs> Christmas on the radio. I am of the Let It Snow vibe. Um, and uh, in my mind. Mm. I like the instrumental version. I don't actually know the name of this song, but you know the one that's like, it's the happiest feeling nothing in the world can buy. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I have no idea. What I'm going to find so a whip, a whip thing just for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's the. What is it? It's I know exactly what that is. No, no, that's not it. Oh, it was like that oh my God, we have a Holly. Yeah, no, not that song. No. I know which one you're talking about. I know. Now, if we're Drop it in the group chat. There you go. Say, All right, we'll continue this conversation on our Christmas special. <laughs> All right. <laughs> my bad, my bad. All right, we'll table we're ready. We're ready. All right. So let's get into it. Today's discussion. Okay. So um, today's discussion, we're going to be going back to schooling. Um, so we're speaking like K through 12 grades. And the question is, are teachers responsible for being culturally responsive? And what we mean by this is, um, as an instructor in those uh, essential grades, the K through 12, um, when you go into a school where the children are um, of different cultural backgrounds than you, is it your job as a teacher to be proactive in learning those cultural, uh, gender, et cetera, differences? Or do you just say, you know, I'm just going in, teaching, doing my job, and is it up to the students to constantly inform me? Okay. So again, the question, are teachers responsible for being culturally responsive. And for today, we have our debaters. Um, sorry. <laughs> for today, we have our debaters. We have Paige on the affirmative, and we have Alex on the negative. All right, Paige. Alrighty. Not everyone has had the pleasure of being able to attend a school where they have admin, teachers, and peers that look like them. Personally, that's why I chose to go to an HBCU for college. While many times that's out of the control of the students or parents, it should have no bearing on how a student who presents differently is dealt with among peers. It is 100% on the institution to ensure that the people with authority conduct themselves as citizens of the world and not a product of which environment they were raised. Not understanding the students you are working with can become a hindrance on social development, forcing them to shy away from their culture, cultures, which has made this country a beautiful melting pot. 
when the teacher tells a student that their big kinky hair is a distraction, but students with straighter hair are walking the halls with hair down to their knees, it can create a feeling of shame. When a teacher dresses up as a Native American running around her geometry classroom, chanting Sokotoa and chopping her hands like a tomahawk, it teaches the other students not to take other cultures seriously. When a teacher asks a Filipino student whose last name is Garcia, why they weren't in the Latino students demonstra demonstration, it says history is not worth exploring. All these actions send messages to the majority students who later manifest in the adult world. Um, we have all had colleagues whose names are something like Amara Chukwu, but shortened it down to something like Amy, so it's more palatable for the masses. There has even been um, proof showing that there's an educational impact on understanding different cultures and economic statuses. Not understanding different languages that are used by students to articulate needs and points can present problems in communication. Simply put, this is why a cultural awareness is needed amongst educators. Thank you. All right, Alan, I'm screwed. What you gotta say? That I'm screwed. <laughs> that out. All right, Alex on the negative. Sorry. <coughs> I just taking my cough drop out. Um, okay. NC. So um, my counterpart page has brought up some good points. Um, but I'm here to talk about why it is not the responsibility of the teachers to be culturally aware um, of the many, the multitude of students they have in their classrooms. So in any given classroom in any different region, you could have a multitude of rel religions, <clears throat> um, races, uh, socioeconomic statuses within your classroom. And I feel as a teacher, your responsibility is to educate these students. But here's the thing. How does it help our students if we're constantly singling out them based off of their different socioeconomic statuses, their different cultural differences, their different religion, religious differences throughout the classroom? What it ends up doing is causing a, a environment of confusion, environment of contentious, and we're constantly pointing out the differences between each other. When we come to school, we're coming into an environment that should ultimately reflect what we would see in a workplace. We're gonna be surrounded by people who are different, yes, but in some degree, we have to be able to come together and work together. And so I think that instead of teachers um, pointing out all of these differences and pointing out the things that make us all separate from one another, they should be able to bring us all together and teach us a common theme in an environment that makes us feel closer to one another, help bring the items that bring us, that make us similar, that, um, that connect us, that unite us as one unit. Um, as a country, we want to be united. And so I think teachers, institutions, and these educational environments should be focused on teaching us these facts, teaching us these ideals in an environment that helps us feel united and connected, not divided and separated from one another. That's what I got.
Two very compelling opening arguments. Um, Paige, do you have any second thoughts to share? Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I understand that ultimately we are all human, yes. But let's take a look at something like TikTok or social media rather, right? So it begins to blur the lines of certain things that were very special to different cultures. And you could almost say that everybody around the world from Gen Z is the damn same. It's embarrassing to watch, okay? So it's, it feels like it's important to, to differentiate each culture and make sure that we all understand them and we can all appreciate them differently. Um, so I mentioned earlier about maybe a young girl having hair who is natural. It's going to grow towards God as our hair does naturally. Now, how is us focusing on how we're the same gonna help that girl when she's living in a space as a minority. All she's gonna see is that she doesn't have hair like other people. All she's gonna know is that she can't use the same items or tools or resources that they have. Similarly with language, if you grew up in one place where your parents may have used uh, you know, certain language to get things across to you, you're now entering into a space where I can't understand my peers. I don't understand what these people are talking about. I would say that it's important for us to understand, but also continue to celebrate different cultures and uh, even socioeconomic statuses, not necessarily celebrate them, but just understand different statuses that people are coming from to make for a better unity. Alex? Okay. <clears throat> and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm misstating the question, but I do think that, so we're debating on teachers <clears throat> being aware of these cultural differences, but I do think there's a difference between whether the teacher is aware or not and whether the teacher is being disrespectful. Just because you don't acknowledge these different cultures doesn't mean you get to be disrespectful of the cultures. So I think that's a clarification I wanna make. I'm not suggesting that teachers should be disrespectful. I'm saying that I don't think teachers should necessarily, necessarily be responsible for singling out these different um, things that separate these students. Um, for one, you know, when we talk about, you know, the hair of mainly black, cult black, um, black children, um, but people of color and um, or whatever, and the different things that differentiate their hair from other students' hair, well, I don't see how that has anything to do with the Pythagorean's theorem. Um, we're in school, we're in math to learn a specific topic that has nothing to do with what your hair is. I think there are different areas of your time at school that those things can be addressed, but I do not think it's the geometry teachers or your English teachers' responsibility to you know, dictate or to educate, you know, little Katie on why Maria's hair looks different than hers. That's not helping us figure out the war or how to conjugate a verb. 
none of those things are, all of those things are distracting us from the reason that we're in these classrooms, in these spaces. When we talk about language barriers, there are specific classes that are set up to address language barriers. Uh, if English is not your first language, there are classes that are set up for that. But it's not, you know, specific teachers' jobs to make sure that you understand, you know, what's being said. And if, if that is a barrier, there are steps that are set up. My point is being that there are spaces that are set up to address things that can prevent children from learning on the same level that their other peers are. But when we get to religious differences, you know, whether you're Jewish or Christian, you know, whether you have kinky hair or straight, curl, straight hair or curly hair, all of these things are things that are addressed in a social setting. And I think that once you step into a classroom, we have to have to kind of step out of that social um, public setting and get into an institutional setting where we are focused on the purpose of being in this room and that's learning. And so I don't think it is the teacher's responsibility to push these social differences between their classroom, classmates, or their, their, their students, excuse me. Um, that's not the responsibility. As long as they are providing a safe and respectful environment, I believe they've done their jobs. Okay. Uh, any closing remarks, Paige, Alex? No. Yeah. All right. We've heard our openings, we've heard our rebuttals. All right. Um, let's get a vote. And remember, we're voting based on the arguments that were presented and not necessarily your stand, personal stance on the topic. Okay. So, Alana. Based on the arguments, yeah, <laughs> start up top. All right. Um, well. Just a yay or nay, Paige or Alex? <clears throat> well, my vote, this debate goes to Alex. All right. Alex won. Who's next? Lindsay? Yep. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> My vote goes to Paige. All right, one, one. Tenna? Little Miss Sunshine, AKA Alex. <laughs> All right, Tiani, it comes down to you. I'm voting for Paige. Ooh. Ooh. No pressure, Christy. <laughs> now, Christy, uh -oh. it comes uh -oh. down to you, uh -oh. Right. Yeah. I feel like this always happens when I'm it does. In fact, it does. Y'all be saying gosh. All right. Based on the arguments alone for the entire um debate, I think I'ma say Alex. Well, look at that little sunshine. <laughs> she, she stole the victory again. Oh, yeah, I stole it. Damn, that's not stole. The hey, hey, that's all right. I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna be okay. Congratulations, Alex. Well, thank you. It was the crown. Oh, there, oh there you go. Shout all out right. to the black owned company, by the way. Before we so, open up and um, discuss with everybody, so Paige and Alex, can you say your stance, your uh, personal stance on the topic, whether you believe or not, your argument?
Um, I generally agree with my argument because I think that I've seen firsthand how um, educators might deliver a message that maybe they didn't intend to be offensive, but it can come out offensively. I, I agree. I do not agree with my argument. Um, I think that there definitely needs to be an awareness. I think that's part of like a teacher's kind of uh, preparation. You need to be aware of who's in your room when you're teaching certain topics, um, especially like historical topics. Um, Cause you need to not necessarily like um, tiptoe around certain topics, but you need to know who these topics are affecting and you know who you're talking to about certain things. And just understanding, I think that it is, I do believe it is teacher's responsibility, especially in the younger years, to be responsible for not just the technical education of your student, but also kind of an emotional um, education as well and making sure the kids, like how they're receiving the information um, and being aware of certain standards. And then when you talk about like socioeconomic standards, um, there could be life factors of why certain children aren't grasping topics as quickly as their counterparts. Maybe they can't study the same way other kids can at home. Maybe they have a lot going at home. So you do need to be aware of who your students are um, and what they're going through. I don't think it's your job necessarily to like dictate certain things and like address every religion and every you know, race and all of these things, but you need to be aware and you need to be responsible with how you teach based off of who you're teaching. Especially if you don't fit into that diaspora. Like if you are a young white male teaching, you know, a bunch of children of color in a lower economic status than you grew up in, you need to be aware of who you're teaching and that you don't fit into that and how those kids are gonna to respond to you in that environment. So I agree with Paige, Paige's argument. <laughs> So I'm gonna open this up to the floor. And first question, or my question is start off, um, maybe answering itself, but we'll just put it out there and start discussion. So like, you know, most of us have that one memorable teacher from grade, grade school. That's what we were trying to form. But um, most of us will have that one memorable teacher from grade school who really made an impact and an effect on um, us in our personal lives and how we continued on with our education, maybe influencing uh, what we chose as a career, et cetera. Were they your favorite teacher or so um, because of the subject in which they were teaching or were they your favorite because there was some like um, direct personal um, aspect like they took the time out to to like single you out and um, uh, took interest in you as a person wholly and not just like I'm here to teach you this subject. Never experienced that emotion. Mm. <laughs> Who's that guy? I forgot what his name is. He said that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anyway, yeah, I can't think of a single teacher who like took an interest in me that way. For me, my mom is a teacher. And I was going to say, even though she didn't teach me, she raised me like a teacher. And she, I feel like, was the only person who like invested in me holistically. I can't think of another teacher who invested in me holistically. But like, I feel like I grew up in a 
very segregated community. It was diverse, but it was very segregated. And my teachers were not prepared to invest in me holistically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I, if they had, would that have changed any outcome in you, like, you know, as you're, you went along your path with education and career? Yes, yes. And I want to expound on my resounding yes after <laughs> people have a chance to op- answer your question about uh, their favorite teacher, but absolutely, Christy. Um, my two favorite teachers, one of them actually did teach my favorite subject, but both of them poured into me directly. Um, and even the class as a whole, my fourth grade teacher, Ms. Foley, she taught everybody entrepreneurship. It was supposed to be math class, but we learned entrepreneurship and it changed everybody. We all went to the same high school and even in high school, we were still talking about the things Ms. Foley did. And in my first grade teacher, because I was so sick in first grade and I couldn't go to recess, I spent so much time with her that in my spirit, we was best buddies. You know what I'm saying? Like we were the best of friends, you know? So I've I've always been blessed to have really good educators um, around me and the family and the church and the schools. And I did not, I do not come from a segregated, well, I actually do come from segregated, but I went to a black middle school, a, be- a black elementary school, a black high school, and a black college. And um, I definitely think that had something to do with the amount of, you know, good educators I had. I'll say I had teachers that pushed me, like, because they know I was capable of doing the work. So, like, if I started slacking off like little things like not doing homework or something like that they pushed me and made sure that I was staying on top of my stuff but I wouldn't say I could call out a specific teacher for being monumental in my life you know what I mean like people who sometimes look back and be like yeah my like how Tiana was like you know specifically your fourth grade teacher or your first grade teacher like I don't have a teacher that I would call out and be like that was the one you know like they might have all pushed me a certain way or if I had questions like if I proactively like I'm thinking about high school if I proactively went to a teacher and was asking questions wanted to get involved in something then yes they would do that but I mean no one ever like singled me out and was like baby girl I got you you know what I mean like let's explore what you want to do, you know? So, no, not all these, and all of my teachers were white. I never experienced a black educator until I got to Howard. What? Okay. I am so dreadful. Yes, all of my, I mean, besides my mother, I'm sorry. My mother was my um, teacher for my seventh and eighth grade year. She taught me grammar. I went to a small Christian school so she taught me grammar and so she was my only black teacher my actual mother but besides that yeah no I did not see black people well my favorite teacher Miss Connie Hawkins if you're out there this is Lindsay Rutledge hey Miss Hawkins um but she 
number one, she was from the community. So she lived in the community she worked in. I knew her, her daughters, we went to the same um, daycare. So like, I kind of knew her already, kind of had like a relationship, but she was a great teacher, but I know I, she was my favorite teacher because of all of the extra that she not only did for me, but for the students. Like you can tell when a teacher genuinely cares about mm -hmm. a class, like she would just buy us stuff. If we had to stay home for an activity and our parent came to pick us up, she'd be like, oh, I have it. I'll, I'll you know, just make sure you sign a consent form that I can take a child, but I'll drop them off wherever they need to go. Like she was invested in the entire child and we got to stay with our teacher, the same teacher for two years. So like that helps you build a relationship with the students a little better because you don't just see them for one year. But um, yeah, she was my favorite teacher, not because of what she taught, but just of what she did for everybody, regardless of what was going on. Mm -hmm. I... <laughs> okay. Not only one. Um, I... I had a couple of favorite teachers. I know in elementary school, my favorite teacher was actually a white woman, Ms. Smith, but she was this fiery white woman from New York. Um, and I had her for third and fourth grade. Um, and she was just super cool. And then in middle school, it was Ms. Williams, this is young black chick. Um, and I think the things that made them like my favorite teachers kind of like Alana said was not necessarily like what they taught or anything like that but it was them caring outside of the classroom mm -hmm. I've always been the type of student where if you allow me to I will fade into the background um I will get lazy and like not because I can't do the work but I'll just like if you don't pay me no attention then I just I might like fade out and not do anything so I'm the I was always a student who needed you to like recognize me and be like why are you slacking? What's going on? What you doing? Why are you not doing your work? And if you don't, then, you know, I'm probably will, you know, fall into the background. So it was those teachers who took an interest in me and like saw me outside of just in that class and being like, hey, what's going on? And in middle school, Miss Williams was also my track coach. So I would see her like during school and after school. Um, and she was just like, we, we felt we could relate to her. Um, I think that's a big thing for kids too, especially in like middle school and high school. Even though your teachers are older than you, it's different when you feel like you can relate to the person who's you're seeing all the time to some degree. You know, she was a young black person, young black woman. So she was like the cool teacher and all that stuff. So we felt like we could relate to her. We could talk to her and stuff like that. So it did make a difference. Um, and I think those are the things that make a difference. So I did, I had quite a few black teachers not so much in high school but like elementary and middle school I did uh, but it makes a difference to see people like you um, but when I like got to high school not so much because there was no one pushing me to like oh have you thought about an HBCU inside of my school but I had like um, after school programs that I was a part of for people who are like you know black women who knew about HBCUs and who would take us on like summer trips or spring break trips and stuff to go see these schools but within my school nah like I was the one who went to Howard in my high school and that I like ever knew of I don't know anybody else in my high school that I think went to Howard and then I, my best friend went to Spelman um other than that I can't think of really anyone else so it, it did make a difference 
Um, I don't remember having any like close personal relationships with any of my teachers. I liked them because of the way they taught. And I don't feel like they specifically singled me out. out. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Nobody was super special. Um, but we did have this English teacher my senior year of high school. His name was Mr. Trick. We called him Trick Daddy. And <laughs> he was he was always pushing African-American novelists and writers and he was an old white guy and so that was something that like I will always remember him for that because I feel like he forced us to dive into a lot of stuff that probably would normally get looked over so I appreciated him for that and I will say I'll get back to culturally I will say um the teachers that had impact for for me just chiming in like not necessarily that they always um, single me out, you know, culturally, like I said, I'll get back to that. But um, just like I had learning differences in certain subjects. And so um, um, being able to not just teach a subject, but also know that uh, I think someone kind of touched on this, like people learn differently uh be it math uh reading language arts whatever like depending on the subject sometimes or just in general like students learn differently so being able to um guide that student along and not make them feel like you know you're in the behind um you're in the last place in class you know like left behind kind of but being able to like teach it in a way to that student so that we can keep everybody on the same page. Um, so those were some of my influential teachers. Most of the people from my middle school that I went to, like, um, well, second, middle high school, Horizon School, most of those teachers were, like, very laid back, um, understood, like, uh, you know, cultural differences and learning differences and really able to teach in a way where like something like reading, like my teacher Bruce, like got me to read in a different way um, than, or, you know, approach it in a different way than I had thought about it before because I'm not the avid reader. Like I didn't like to do it at all, <laughs> but he got me through that, that class. And then we had like, um, like Priscilla, Sally, those were the two like, non-black teachers that really had a hold on like myself and my classmates and as well as um my middle school teachers who actually officiated my wedding um <laughs> with Kessler and Afia Mazimoyo um they were they helped like incorporate actually our uh, cultural background into like math and language arts for what we were learning. So it helped to get one while you're learning the subject. I'm also getting like um, uh, an appreciation for my culture and, you know, being uh, proud to be who I am while I'm learning that particular subject. Right. Um, on the back side, when we go back to um, cultural differences, there was this one teacher who I wish, 
I don't know if it was Michael. I cannot remember his name, but it was our math teacher in middle school, a black man who um, took the stereotypes of like black people being lazy and black men especially being lazy. And he, the way he would like keep saying that about some of the students in our class is like, okay, you obviously don't amount for these people to be anywhere. And you're not even just, just teaching us math, like you're constantly instilling these cultural, uh, uh, what did I just say? Stereotypes. <laughs> you're constantly instilling these like um, cultural stereotypes on your own people, so, you know what I mean? So um, I don't know, let's go back to cultural, yeah, especially sometimes. some of the scenarios and topics that Paige brought up about teachers being like culturally insensitive um, in the classroom and like how that can affect a child's, uh, a child's growth and mental status as they get older. If I just yeah. real quick wanted to know, cause in Paige's example with Sokotoa, I just wanna know in what capacity did homegirl think? That was you know okay. What? This, this is, is going to be my lesson tomorrow. But, you know what I mean? Yeah, but even if you got there, even if you got there, the whole vibe in the classroom was nobody's enjoying this. So it was like, you thought about it. It was premeditated. You never thought this was a bad idea. Then and you, you did it. that for 20 minutes <laughs> and, you, and not a cr smile cracked in the crowd and you still never thought like, let me read the room and see that people are not enjoying it. May I? Sure. Go ahead. The lady had been doing that for years. They have her in yearbooks with that exact same headdress sitting on another table doing exactly that. So she kept doing it because nobody stopped her from doing it. It wasn't until somebody put her on social media like, y'all ain't gonna believe what happened to me today that, that she even got slightly reprimanded. And all they did was like send her home paid for like a day or two and then she had to like apologize or whatever it really wasn't that deep but if there's no consequences and just like you said the kids didn't say nothing no other adult said anything multiple people knew because she is in the yearbook in the headdress they knew where was that do you know i thought it was virginia but i could be missing uh remembering because mm. so, it could have been okay. georgia so this is a good segue to what's been on my mind since you guys started debating this. And it wasn't premeditated. It was kind of like what you guys were saying brought this up in my mind. But systematic racism is largely rooted in the education system, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the responsibility of the education system, I think that like that has a lot of room for potential to start changing some of the institutions that like systematically hold people back. And if you're, if education systems are not acknowledging that, if they're not intentional about that, then it can't be perpetuated. And so it's like, when we get back to like, is the institution responsible? It's like, yes, you are responsible for evaluating equality and equity. 
And if you don't understand those differences, then you can perpetuate some of the things that exist in the education system that are beyond you, such as drawing different lines for school systems, right? To group different people in different places, right? Or how schools get money through standardized testing when some of the standardized testing is inherently racist. Like if you don't think about those things, so I think that's one piece. And then I think the other piece is just like, the experience of the child and understanding that a lot of brightness is rooted in whiteness, mm -hmm. right? And so I think, and I would love to hear from Lindsay and Tiani who, who have a better perspective than me, but for me, it's just like, I tried to explain to my supervisor how systematic racism affects our workplace. And he wasn't my supervisor, he was a supervisor, but the point is, I said, if you wanted, there's, I, what I told him was, there's nobody, there's no black person on the bench for you to hire. And that's because just like, if you just take it all the way back, you're hiring from schools that are racist and have 30% black people. And so there, there's like, it goes all the way back, like, if you if your primary recruiting school doesn't understand inclusion and diversity, right? You have three percent black people. That's where you're hiring from, and you're wondering why there's no black people to promote. Why is that school hiring three percent black people? Because their high schools are not conducive for an environment for a black person to succeed. So it's like when you don't acknowledge that chain of like thinking about. Why aren't there Black executives? Why aren't there Black hires? A lot of that, and I don't mean to just say like that's the standards of success. I'm just saying like the opportunity for equity. A lot of that starts in the education system, and I think educators have to acknowledge that. Um, yeah, that's just my opinion, and that's why I think that the institution is responsible for being culturally aware of, of this stuff. I'm curious what Lindsay thinks about what I have to say. Lindsay's giving me faces. Right, that's why I want to know. I was trying to understand before we Um. So for me, one, I agree. The teacher should be culturally aware of where, what community she's about to work in. Um, whatever that case may be. A lot of teacher programs now, though, include culturally responsive pedagogy classes. Um, a lot, like in my workplace, we just now started talking about equity and how um, to, you have to look at your own biases and because you project your own biases onto other people and just how can we work better to understand each other? Um, I don't think though that it all falls on the education system because the the things that we do are voted on from the people. And so if you notice, if you take a, around here we had, you got the South side in Atlanta, that's black people, North side white folks. So on the North side, there are a lot of changes at the school level because of who? The parents, because the parents make their voices heard and they state what they want their child to be able to do. They advocate for their children. They're gonna let you know how they feel about their kids. You know, all of that. 
Now at my school, it may look a little different because they might not know how to advocate for their student. Okay, they know that their child needs help or they're struggling. So they'll come and say, you know, we'll help them with those type of things. But I don't know if as a collective, they know how to truly voice their concerns or what they want their kids to have. So I say all of that to say, to me, it's not just the education institution because you're a team with the parents, you're a team with community members, you're a team, it's everybody has to have input. And at certain school, like I'm black, I work at a black school, but there, I didn't grow up how the kids at the school that I work at grow, grew up. So there are some things that I learned from them. Um, and I had to say, oh, okay, this is, this is what this means. This is how I interact. This is how we interact over here at this school. Um, I can be stern, but loving because guess what? That's how their parent is. But with this child, I may can't take that route. I have, may have to, you know, no, Johnny, please put that up. You know, you may have to talk a little different, but I feel like, and being culturally responsive is a big piece because sometimes some people come into communities wanting to save this group of people. But if you cannot connect with them, which comes with building relationships, which comes with understanding a group of people, not just, oh, I have a black best friend, so I understand them. Like there's just so many things um, that are becoming, that we have to understand better. Cause like I'm thinking now, like, I'm not gonna say, like at my school, we have some kids that do the, they may wear something that a girl wears. They, you know, do something else, paint their nails. And so then that brings up another culturally responsive piece. Like, I may not want to talk about that because I didn't grow up with kids dressing up, but it has to be addressed because guess who's going to ask you? Miss Rutledge, why you got his nails painted? Oh, okay. Well, then look, I have to go do some research. How do I address this particular situation, especially with the child? And do does every parent want their child to even know about that? So it's just so many layers. Um, so yeah, I sound like I was rambling, but no, that's cool. <laughs> I thought that was really good comments. Yeah. I, I agree. And people think cultural and they only think race, and it's so much more than that. So, like at the environment that I teach at, it is mostly black and brown but these are children who have been through things. So I have to know, okay, I can't just walk up to you and put my, and you know, even just to put my hand on your shoulder because that might trigger you. And, and, and I have to know, okay, this child does not like being touched because of X, Y, and Z. This child does not like being called by their last name, which is something a lot of the people do uh, with my students because the only other people outside of the school that call, you know, the child by their last name is the judge and, and the cops. So I'm triggering this child when I call them by their last name, or I'm triggering this child when I said, I'm going to call your mom, not realizing that he absolutely hates his mom. You know what I'm saying? And so cultural responsibility, it goes beyond race and socioeconomic standards. It's just you really getting to know your, your children, getting to know your audience, know your environment, what you can say, what you cannot say. A lot of people joke about, you know, uh, people on drugs. You can't do that because you don't know whose kids, whose parent is on drugs. 
You can't joke about suicide. You don't know which one of the kids are suicidal. So at the end of the day, it really boils down to empathy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because most most teachers care enough to at least make the school a safe place for the children. So I'm going to take time out of my day and I'm going to figure out whether I ask or I, uh, or someone else tells me or if I just observe, okay, I know this child don't like being touched. I'll never touch them. And I will tell everybody else, please do not touch this child. You know what I'm saying? And and that's all it is. It's just caring. I care enough for you and for me because I ain't trying to get my, my head knocked off either. Like, because you can snap on me and I'm small, you know? I'm, I'm fluffy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not but a fighter. I think, but I think that caring and culturally aware are two different things. Mm-hmm. I think they're connected, though. I think they're connected, but the reason why I say that is just because, like, you can care for me and still be racist you can like me and still be racist i'm I'm focusing on race in this example it could be anything right it could be homophobia it could Mm -hmm. be dispositions different economic socioeconomic and i feel like sometimes people conflate being nice and accepting like you can be nice to me and still not accept my status Mm -hmm. That's true. But I, I think part of the care, I'm sorry, part of the care is, and I guess it is perspective, right? How you're looking at care, but like part of the care to me is me caring enough to get to know you as a student, regardless of age, regardless of background, regardless of skin color, what have you. I am caring enough to get to know this classroom of students and recognizing what your triggers may be, what your background may be, because Okay, if I am um, Jehovah's Witness, we don't celebrate birthdays, you know what I mean? Or specific holidays, but we want to have a Christmas party. No, I I can't participate now because my family does not recognize Christmas. You know what I mean? So, So I think part of that is also like knowing your classroom and it's obviously going to change every year because new kids are coming in and new backgrounds are coming in and things of that nature. But like, you can't, and I don't understand how you can go into the field of education and not care. You know what I mean? And I've seen them. I'm not saying they don't exist. I have seen them. You know what I mean? My mom's still teaching. And some of the teachers that she interacts with, I'll be like, how in the world? But whatever. You know what I mean? So, so you have to care about the kids at a bare minimum so that you don't trigger them or so that you do your hardest not to poke the bear. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's part of being a teacher. But Alex, go ahead. I was just going to say kind of to something Tiani said, I saw this, I would see these videos on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, but it was like a young white woman teacher um, in a classroom and she was talking about like her cell phone policy. I don't know if it was middle school or high school. And she was like, you know, I make the kids turn their phones in, you know, and if they don't, then I call the school administrator or like the resource officer, which I think is like a school police officer. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that kind of came to my mind, and I don't know what region she was in, who she was teaching, all those things, but I've seen similar instances, things like this happen in different regards. And my thought is always like, you know, you have teachers, young teachers like that, and your first instinct is always to call school resource, call the police or whoever. And all you do is ingrain this idea in this child, if you don't know who your school children are, is that 
the littlest thing I do, I'm calling the cops. Because when you get outside of school, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Young white woman, somebody, something happens, you didn't like it, they call the cops on you. And so you've ingrained that same mentality in kids at school. I'm calling school resource, I'm sending you to the police. And even though what you think is kind of like what Tina was saying about this caring, you know, you're not doing anything outrightly disrespectful or like mean, you know, this is just what my rule and my policy is. There's still a level of disconnect of you not understanding, like there's a trigger and you wanting to call the cops or the school resource or whoever, mm-hmm. every time some, a kid does a little something wrong or doesn't agree with something you said, or the kid speaks out. And so it's stuff like that, where you need to understand who you're dealing with and what though your behavior, what, you know, that mindset it can instill in a child, especially when they leave the school, they're like the same way the world treats me is the way you treating me too everybody called the cops on me. And so that's, and that's that mentality that you've instilled in them. There is no safe space. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of my thing with school. I think it should be one of the places kids feel safe. You know, they shouldn't feel like they're always going to get the cops called on them or my teacher don't care about me. They going to make fun of me because I'm this, I'm that or whatever, or they don't respect me. Mm-hmm. School should be a place where you feel safe and respected. And if not school, like then where, you know, especially if you have kids who don't feel that way at home. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to go back to where we were talking about caring. It's, it is important for them to care, but don't learn about me and my culture and pity me. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 the lines become blurred and neither one of us are going to be beneficial in this classroom. Right. Like, don't think you can't yell at me and, right. like, and correct my behavior because, oh, well... I know he probably didn't eat breakfast today. Yeah. I know his lights probably not on. I know yeah. still like you can address we can address those things. We can talk about those because we do every kid in the morning have SEL time, social emotional time. We have the counselor, we have the social worker. So we can address those things, but hold me accountable right. and keep those high expectations for me. And I think that's where a lot of people get the two mixed up. Mm-hmm. Care for mm-hmm. me, but don't pity me. Agreed. Also, I just like another topic I want to touch on is like culture. So if whether it's work culture, church culture, school culture, a lot of times culture is influenced by the body and sometimes culture is influenced by the leadership. Mm -hmm. And when you think about like a classroom setting, what is acceptable, the behavior in that classroom is often set by the teacher. Mm-hmm. right you can, in fact like you you know like in high school you act differently depending on who's the class some teachers don't yep. get up with it and some teachers yeah. do so again to, uh, to this Baptist responsibility about being culturally aware you can be nice you can be caring and still have culturally insensitive behaviors mm-hmm. and if a teacher is not educated on that they just simply wouldn't be able to spot it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, like sure. you have to even just be able to spot it to like set that tone of what's acceptable or not acceptable in your room. Do you know what microaggressions are? Mm-hmm. And if a, if a student does it genuinely unknowingly, let's say a girl has a, uh, and I'm sorry if I mispronounce it, a hijab yes. on yeah. her head and a black person says a do-rag because they don't know. or a scarf because they genuinely don't know Mm -hmm. you know I do feel like it is the leader's responsibility to just say hey like I'm advocating for the student that's not what it's called if you don't know what it's called ask her 
Mm-hmm. Right, and the same goes for work. I just got into this with some coworkers. When people are rude and they go unpunished, that means that the that cultural behavior is acceptable. Mm-hmm. 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 Right, so it's just like, if a school's trying to establish what is and isn't acceptable, how can you do that if you don't, if you're not culturally aware? Mm-hmm. And I think there's huge value, and I think people are starting to understand that now. There's huge value in people simply being comfortable. And it's just like if you have these kids in uncomfortable environments, then they don't want to invest in their education. Right. And so it's like, I do think. The institution has like some responsibility to make sure that kids are comfortable versus like before, like if we were talking about kids being comfortable or being comfortable at work, like these are not words people would acknowledge before. I think people understand that now. Very good discussion today. (laughs) All right. I'm going to, we're going to have that be the last note. Anybody else though? Like final remarks. Don't forget to follow us on <laughs> Instagram. It's the debate podcast. YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Did I cover them all? So anywhere you listen to your uh, your podcast. And almost, this, everywhere. almost everywhere. Almost anywhere you listen to your podcast. Episode was well, guys, sponsored Android by CBS. Make sure you go get your lighters for the holidays. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. Stop. And on that note, <laughs> all right, ladies. Uh, that was another episode. It's a debate podcast. Again, follow us, listen, subscribe, click like, subscribe, and share. All that good stuff. And we'll see y'all in the next episode.